Hello and welcome to the Knowledge of College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler, and today I have an incredible conversation to share with you. I just spoke with the one and only doctorate in bro science, Alexander Cortez. Uh, Alexander is easily one of my absolute favorite Twitter accounts out there. He has great perspectives. He's a wealth of knowledge. And in this conversation, we talked about his red pill moment, about the uh, rise of the sovereign individual, as well as some of the ways to prepare for the future and to adapt uh, for success. This is a very interesting conversation. I could seriously ask Alexander questions all day long. Um, and I recommend that you check out his content, subscribe to his email newsletter, and follow him on Twitter. They're all very much worth your time. And without further delay, please enjoy this conversation with Alexander Cortez. Hey, Alexander, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real honor to have you on the show. What's up, Patrick? <laughs> for the audience out there who, you know, somehow is not familiar with your work just yet, would you mind telling them a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah. So a very condensed life story as to how I got here. Um, so I'll go back a few years. So my original plan was to be a ballet dancer in college. That didn't work out. I got a liberal arts degree. Um, realized the degree was worthless, got into personal training because that was the only job that paid more than minimum wage that I was qualified to do. So I started personal training over 10 years ago. Technically, I've never stopped doing that. I sort of built a career in the fitness industry. And in the last five years, approximately, I built an online following off of being a you know, subject matter expert on fitness. And that's grown on Twitter. It's grown on Instagram. I have a newsletter. And I built what is today called like a solo entrepreneur business. It's all entrepreneurship. Five years ago, that wasn't really a term that anyone took seriously, the idea of doing something by yourself really that way. Um, today, it's become sort of a novel idea it's because the online digital market has grown tremendously by literally the trillions. And suddenly this possibility exists that you can literally just work for yourself. And if you have expertise and you know, some level of credibility in something, you can also entertain and you can medically market yourself you can potentially create an audience and now you have a business that operates. So that's what I've done. Uh, my name has maybe come to prominence to some level because I've done a lot of public speaking the last few years at various conventions. I have a, how'd you say, I guess like an elite, an elite level circle of internet friends who are also well known. Uh, Mike Cernovich, Ed Lattimore, the Manosphere, uh, the, the Tate brothers. So there's a service online collective movement. I think that's, taking hold of the internet right now where people, people are looking for people that seem to be living ahead of the curve. And uh, I would like to think of myself as being one of those people. So that's how we're having this conversation right now. Yeah. I, I believe we first met at a Cernovich event a couple of years back yes. and, you know, I've been following your contents before that and beyond. And um, you know, it's 
remarkable to see, you know, your success continue to accumulate. And, you know, a lot of the, you know, sort of where you've pioneered is becoming, like you said, more and more mainstream. It's becoming something that we're starting to define terms around. And I want to kind of go back to that origin of how you got to that place in your life. You know, it's, it's easy in retrospect to look back and be like, Oh, you became a solopreneur. You, you did, you know, this and that, but when you're on the beginning of that spectrum, there's none, there's nothing to compare yourself to. There's no, uh, there's no guide po- post. There's no, uh, direction pointing you to where you are today. So where did that begin? Where were the seeds of sort of developing your own personal business on the internet and sort of going an alternate path from likely what, you know, your, you know, the generations before us have been able to do. Yeah, social expectations. That's a good point. Um, so, I mean, growing up, I was never computer savvy. I was not internet savvy. My, my, my original red pill moment, so to speak, it came in college during the Great Recession, where the county I grew up in, in California, Riverside County, it was somewhere around one, three to one, four people lost their homes. So I knew I had friends, I, my own family, but they had to move out, the, move out of the house. And it, that was this catalyzing wake up moment where it didn't make sense to me that the whole economy had crashed. It didn't make sense to me. You know, how, how were so many people caught off guard? And at that age, you don't know necessarily what's true, but you can at least begin to distinguish what is false. And that's where the, the cracks formed and like the common narrative of go to college, get a job and everything works out because I saw that very visibly not work. At the same time, I was getting a liberal arts education that I realized probably about a year into it that this is not a useful degree. You know, this idea that if you go to college, you're going to make a million dollars more than you know, someone that doesn't. Okay, there's, there's some relevant truth to that, but education is not created equal. You know, there's a whole horde of degrees today. And I mean, this has become a running joke, right? To joke about liberal arts degrees and yeah. You got a degree in women's studies and there's lots of cliches around this. 10 years ago, that really didn't exist. It, it was, you were just told if you were in high school during the 1990s, go to college. You have to go to college. It doesn't matter what it is. So this was like 2000, 2009. I realized that, you know what, this degree is not really worth anything. I'm not going to have any real job skills. Um, you know, like, what can I do? And I would never be considered a good employee. I'm not a readily employable person. I had this big long checklist of things I just flat out refused to do. I don't like to compromise anything. So I told myself then I'm not going to ever work in an office. I'm never going to sit for my job. I'm not going to work at a computer. I'm not going to, so I had all these things, all these no's. Um, so what could I say yes to? The only thing that seemed sensible was I could be a personal trainer because I like being in the gym and it's a job at the time, not doing it seemed easy. So let's go with that. And also paid like $16 an hour which minimum wage in California at that time was it maybe eight or nine. And maybe you know, most entry level jobs would pay you 10 to so yeah. $16 an hour. Good. Cool. So I started doing that. Uh, this is 2010, 2011. And I did that for a number of years until 2016. And what started to change in the industry a few years into it is that right around 2012, I would say around 2011 to 2014, there was suddenly this rise in the internet within the fitness world of being what we today what we would today call an influencer. No mm-hmm. one, nobody had names for any of this at the time. You know, like it's it's always interesting when you see these social movements develop, where like you know something's happening, you can see patterns happening. You know, clearly there's there's this mass effect taking place, but it doesn't have a name. 
you know, until something has a name, people tend to think that it doesn't really exist. It's sort of like yep. one of the phenomenons of being a human being. You know, if you can't name something, somehow we can just, you know, uh, blank it out. So I saw this happening where I saw other people in the fitness industry where they were becoming known for being a writer. This is when having a blog was very much a big deal. And then in 2013, I discovered a Cernovich. Uh, in 2014, I started working for John Meadows. Uh, God rest his soul, he passed away recently. He was an IPU pro bodybuilder who came to prominence. And I started writing for a few, uh, for uh, one particular website, leafts.com. I started writing for magazines as well. And I was able to get a hold of the internal logistics of the internet, basically, which this is the stuff the average person doesn't pay attention to, where it's like with traffic, conversion rates, views. And I realized that online business, it's just numbers. It's no different than a brick and mortar business. You open up a physical location in the real world. We call it the real world. You know, I, I call it the metaverse. Everything's merged together. But real world, you open up a business. How many customers are coming in? Well, you figure that out based on location, foot traffic, the type of business. You're going to try to market to bring people into the door. An online business, where's your traffic coming from? How many eyes are on your content? How many people are buying from you? These are, these are all calculable things. These are not, it's not magic. Uh, business is numbers, as I always say. So I saw this, and I saw people that were getting popular, and I thought in my mind, like, I, I think I could do this. And I, I, was, I was already building a following of writing. Um, but to, you know, to craft an effective online business, it takes a particular set of skills. And I didn't want to do coaching. And that, that's usually the first thing people think, like, oh, coaching, do online coaching. That doesn't scale. It doesn't scale because it's still an exchange of you know, dollars for hours, fundamentally. Yep. What I did see happening, and this came from working with John and also you know, some of the mentors that I had, um, but one of them, very noble gentleman, he was, he was also dead, unfortunately, uh, rest in peace, Bob Illenfeld. He was a magazine editor for Muscle and Fitness. He had also been the editor for 531, uh, which was a very, very popular strength training book by Jim Wendler. Yeah, maybe some of the audience has heard of it. Um, and he told me something that really changed my life, honestly. Uh, he told me a few things. He told me, one, that you can write. You have the gift of writing. If you don't use it, you're wasting your life. And I was about 24 at the time, and I, I internalized that. Um, and I still live by it. And then he told me about the numbers behind some you know, popular ebooks that were selling at the time for different people in the fitness industry. 531 was one of them. Um, Carb Night, uh, Carb Backloading was another. And these ebooks, they're typically around $20 to $30 and $40, $50 even. And he told me at the time, I mean, this was 2014, that 531, and I, I, I've never seen the actual you know, hard copy you know, web shop that's, this is Bob's words. But Bob told me that that, that ebook sold over 100,000 copies. And wow. I did the math in my head. I'm like, wait, 100,000 copies at $30? Holy shit, what? Like, it's like light bulb moment. And I, and I had bought it myself. And it just, it suddenly hit me that, wait, like there's a market for educational procs. People will, people will buy things on the internet. And you know, they, what we call ebooks or courses, like you know, oftentimes those are you know criticized as being like you know, bullshit, but in reality they're they're almost the equivalent of like an online textbook, because unlike a regular generic book that you pull off the shelf in the bookstore, you can craft an ebook or course to solve a very specific problem for a specific individual, and you can tailor it directly to your audience, and you can update it, you can communicate with them, it gives you a connection 
in a relationship with that person that a regular paper book actually does not. And I saw there was a market for this. I was like, I, I could do something with this. I know I could. And it wasn't until the end of 2016, I sort of fully went in on that business and started writing my own programs. Uh, and it, I mean, it was slow the first year. I remember the first time I made, you know, like $200 online. Um, you know, it might maybe 200 or 400, something like the first month. It was not a main, uh, was not a substantial income. It was more like a side hustle, but it gave me proof of work that this could be done. And then I've been building it ever since. And the way I saw the internet develop as it got, as it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, it's now a flood of information. So it's a torrent. We live in a deluge of information from every platform, every app 24 seven, you know, you can't really escape it at all. So what, what do people look for when they're in that kind of flood? They look for, you know, quote unquote, authenticity. What's authenticity? They're looking for a real person. Most people don't share yeah. that much online. You know, actually, if you look at the numbers, you know, somewhere around 90% of the content online is made by 10% of the people that actually use the internet. Wow. And that's for any platform, whether it be Instagram or TikTok or you know, Twitter or you know, even Facebook. The majority of posts are made by a very small percentage of people. And with institutional trust declining, you know, globally, especially in the United States, people don't want to buy from a company. They don't want to, you know, they, they, they no longer buy, let's say, like a magazine off the shelf. You know, Muscle Fitness, all those magazines now have, have lost huge market share. What do they want? They want to go to an individual. They want to actually see somebody, talk to somebody, watch their videos, learn from that person that they feel like, okay, this person's trustworthy. They're going to give me worthwhile information. Um, they've lived a real life. Hopefully, they're you know, they know what they're talking about. So I, I saw all this happening, you know, over this period of years, and that's where I inserted myself into that. I'm like, okay, I could become a like a fitness guy, and and not just fitness. I could talk about all these things I'm talking about now, and incorporate kind of into my marketing, and make it what I call like very meta. So you know, even in the act of marketing itself, I'm not just doing this. Oh, buy my stuff. I can tell you that I can watch you buy my stuff. I could tell you. I could describe you all my strategies. I can pull back the curtain, so to speak. Yeah. And be very transparent about all of my work, you know, everything I produce. So there's no pretense at all. Um, you know, and what does that do? It builds trust. You know, like it, it, it still makes me laugh that sometimes when I do, you know, sales emails, for example, where I'll, I'll, sell, I'll, I'll at the very beginning of the email, this is a sales email. I want you to buy this. And I have people write me backward, like, and obviously the stuff sells. We're like, I love that you write that because it just, there's no, in, in, versus the usual bullshittery of trying to buy something online with this really long sales page. And you're going to write, you're going to write this very contrived copy in this bullet point style with these hyperbolic claims. You will just say outright, you should buy this. This will help you lose body fat. You know, do or don't. It's your choice. I don't give a shit. Uh, <laughs> but it works. Um, and obviously, it's, it's allowed me to build a business. It's given me immense time freedom that I think is pretty unparalleled. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, one th one thing that I'm noticing just right off the bat is you know, you, you clearly have a demonstrated ability to spot trends and that goes in both directions. So one being understanding that there's a wave coming for the internet trend and being able to grab onto that, create content and engage with an audience to be able to build influence and, uh, you know, have a market, have a digital business. The other being spotting the way that uh, things have been done and going the other direction. So rather than the corporate me, uh, you know, magazine uh, type of content, you know, pull the curtain back, reveal the tricks, show the secrets 
and develop authenticity in a way that really had, didn't exist in the old world that could only exist in the new digital one. And so it's sort of this combination of spotting which direction things are flowing and grabbing onto the you know current and going with the flow. Where does that, I mean, you mentioned sort of the red pill moment for you is starting to notice that, uh, you know, the conventional way of life wasn't, you know, or what you had been told about college and degrees and, you know, education and how that ties to your income wasn't going to be a realistic picture for you uh, and maybe for anyone in the future. But where did that, do you, do you have any sort of instance or time where you noticed at first that, uh, you know, sort of spotting trends and understanding the sort of the flow of events to be able to uh, capitalize? I would say it started young. Um, I was not a particularly good student in school and academia. I, I didn't care for school at all. It bored me most of it, but I have always been a student of human behavior. And when I was younger, especially in K through 12, I always was very, uh, I very much enjoyed history. And history, the way it's you know commonly thought of, is it's just dates and things that happened already. Why do we need to study this? But what you realize if you study history to any serious level is that history is a recollection of human psychology. You know, why do things happen? And you realize that nothing really happens randomly. There is no trend that develops. There is no social movement that emerges out of a vacuum. Mm-hmm. You know, if you study the history of any civilization, any country, any group, you can see that there is this progressive evolution from you know, let's say a small individual collective to increase cooperation to then engineering the environment around them to then expanding to this necessity of economic resources, then folding and working with the population. And you can see this rise, you can see this fall. And in each uh, epoch in history has its, has its values. And you see this even in the United States. Uh, yours today, we live like in a very fundamentally cynical time period. There's no vision for the future really, other than the one of fragmentation. Like, well, you go back, 60, 70 years post-World War II, you know, the whole, the whole of the population is sort of high on victory. We've done it. We've, we've won. You know, what else can we do? There's a spirit of enthusiasm and that drives obviously a lot of innovation, drives the space program. And, you know, at the same time, there's always like a dark undercurrent of, you know, what about human rights? What about oppression? What about these, you know, various issues, but you can track all that. Um, there, one of the terms I always like to use, which I still find funny that it's not common usage, but, Isaac Asimov's uh, foundation series, um, psychohistory, you know, is what sort of he deems it as, uh, and that and that series sort of traces this idea that you can it, 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 that that the foundation series is a series which describes this meta concept where you can in fact reverse engineer, you know, human development and you can plan it out for the future and what's important, um, you know, in so many words, and it, so th- those books actually were very influential. I read them when I was a uh, probably like 10 or 11, 12 years old. Um, and I'd always sort of paid attention to things. I, I liked reading the newspaper when I was a kid. Uh, and you know, then over time, you know, sort of what happened like with the red pill moment and the great recession, I was like, you know, I've been reading my news, this newspaper my whole life. How come nobody could predict this? Like how did this emerge out of nowhere? It didn't make sense to me at all. You know, for anyone that grew up in the 1990s up until probably, probably the great recession even more than 9-11, there was this legitimate sort of what was even called then like the end of history time period of the prosperity is going to increase. Life will keep getting better. You know, neoliberalism won. Like the world's going to be more united. Like this is never going to stop. Yeah. And that just came to an absolute halt. And then that's really, that's falling apart. You know, today that'd be laughable. 
you know, to sort of say that kind of idea. Like it's, it's, you know, there's, there's a huge, you know, probably it's probably 50, 50 split now. Um, and even for the people that want to promote that, they know that it's not being received well, it's, it's become bullshit. Um, so I, yeah, I saw that kind of fraction fall apart and, and I saw my own family members, you know, like this extended family where they were poorly adapted to the future. Uh, the world that existed from, I would say probably like 19, let's just say 1945 to 2005, where you could legitimately just get a good job and pay into your retirement fund and homes would be relatively affordable. Obviously some places are more expensive than others, but there was this sweet spot time period where you didn't have to think too much. You just, you had to work and get your paycheck and you know, make your income and pay your bills and pay your mortgage and life would work out. And that's no longer the situation. And, and I saw that, I saw the end of that. So, so what comes next afterwards? Uh, you know, so my life probably since I was in my like you know, teen years, I'd say has been trying to find those answers. And then what I eventually arrived at, like with the, you know, with the sovereign individual book is that you're going to actually have to legitimately figure this out yourself. And the tools exist. The tools certainly exist to engineer freedom, to engineer, you know, financial education, to engineer financial independence, but there are no set paths. And the people that do this, they're not, they're not going to, as you said at the beginning, they're not going to look like anyone that's done this before because it has legitimately never been done before. You know, this, this Bitcoinization, fragmentation, balkanization of, uh, of human history, like this is actually quite unprecedented. And, uh, you know, we consider the tools that the average person has compared to even, you know, 20 years ago. Anyone can have a social following. Anyone can reach millions of people. You know, the, the, the same engineering tools that CNN uses are the same ones that are available to you, to you and I. Yeah. Like there's, there's no difference. You know, everybody has the potential for immense, immense leverage, uh, which, which is legitimately just extraordinary when you think about it. So, you know, that becomes, well, what are you going to do with it? Absolutely. So you have to be very, you have to, you have to be very, t- the thing is like, there's definitely this sentiment at times where people are like, I don't, they don't want to pay attention. They don't want to pay attention to politics. They want to not ignore social media. All this sucks. But like, I don't think it sucks at all, but if you want to be ahead of the curve, you have to know where the curve is. You actually have to pay attention to the world around you. You cannot isolate yourself and be the, being the uh, stereotypical cave and assume everything's going to work out well. It's not. I think you nailed it right there where, you know, it's like you, if you want to be ahead of the curve, you have to know where the curve is. And I think the, uh, another point that you said about how there was that sweet period where, you know, which was, very much where like probably our parents, grandparents are growing up and living in where you didn't have to think too hard about, you know, where things were headed. It seemed, you know, uh, beautiful and majestic world that we we're entering into of peace, love and uh, world's happiness uh, was upon us. But now we're sort of looking around and that's not the case. And I think we've especially seen that in the past couple of years. And so there's this kind of issue where the people immediately ahead of us in the generational chain are not exactly paying attention to the technological developments, the, um, the disruptions in the marketplace that are happening and unfolding so quickly that now there's a lot of people who are still not paying attention, but you have, but sort of to understand the world that we're moving into and to be able to prepare for it and experience it in a somewhat pleasant way, you have to be able to spot that curve and understand what's going on and sort of start paying attention. And so that's sort of like something that I think about quite a bit is how do you activate people? How do you get them going? And for you, you know, you mentioned the red pill moment, which I think a lot of people on the internet, especially in this sphere, kind of 
describe is the moment where they realize that, you know, whatever their conventional thinking was, whatever they thought they could do with their life uh, was not going to work out and they had to change. It usually requires some, you know, some sort of hardship, some real life experience, uh, metaverse experience where, uh, where you're going to experience that there's a, there's a conflict with your belief system and you're going to have to like get past that and get over it for you. I mean, I witness you red pilling people on the internet, you know, like it's a, uh, like it's a side job or something. And I'm curious, sort of like, what do you, what have you seen in that experience of being able to wake people up from that fugue state of, you know, how people could live in the past versus where we're headed in the future? Well, there's, there are expectations and then there's reality. And those two things do not always line up. They may not like, they may not line up at all. What we've seen the last few years since let's just say Trump's election, um, you know, to the election of Biden, where there's been a breakdown of social order. And that's, that's widely acknowledged at this point that, you know, that the country's no longer united, but even with the past, you know, or the current pandemic uh, vaccine, yep. Oh, you need to get a vaccine. Oh, you need a booster. You'll need another booster. Actually, all, all your boosters now outdated. You're going to need a fourth booster. Oh, oh wait, what? I, that's not what I agreed to. I thought we just needed the one or the two. Now you're telling me it's three or four. Um, oh, we're going to restrict your movement with a vaccine passport. But it's not really a passport, but it's basically a passport. What? I mean, that, I mean this has become a running joke for those of us who are you know, more aware but that everything that we were told would not happen by the powers that be have happened, has happened. Yeah, lockdowns, shutdowns, lost small businesses, restrictions on movement, mobility, loss of you know individual freedoms. That's all happening. Um, are, how, are people really waking up, waking up, waking up? That I don't know. Yeah, it's always very nice to think that there's just going to be going to be a sort of collective revolution. You know, this elevation of human consciousness. This has been talked about since the 1960s. Yeah, if you go back to the rhetoric during that time period. Um, you know, Terence McKenna. Uh, you know, some of the people that were, you know, the I guess the leading figureheads of like the 1960s consciousness revolution. The world's going to change. We're all going to become more empathetic and understand each other better. That really didn't work, did it? Yeah, maybe maybe yeah. it did for a period of time, but maybe that was just very much a collective delusion. Uh, but you know, the, the life was obviously very different then for a multitude of reasons. But I don't worry so much about needing to, needing to wake people up in mass. What I focus on is more so like I would sort of like the Book of Isaiah. You're, you're looking for the remnant, the remnant being that group of people who are a minority of the people where they realize something's wrong and they want to come out ahead of the situation. And that can be done many ways. That can be done through education. That can be done through memes. You know, memes get laughed at all the time, but memes are powerful because it's a form of satire. Absolutely. Yeah, and with, the death of, with the death of comedy the last few years where you can't really joke about anything, memes give you the opportunity to point out hypocrisy, to point out contradiction. They, they actually do. Yeah, that, that's why they're so sticky. Like you can actually post memes, people literally look at them and be like, "Oh, fuck, that's right." Um, <laughs> you, you can't you can't underrate that. Yeah, and then just being someone where you are freely expressing yourself, and you're not afraid to be critical of the powers that be, or you're not afraid to be critical of social movements, or you can identify those idiosyncratic trends that are taking place that some people just, you know, like we we're saying before, they don't necessarily pay attention to. I um, mean, all that contributes to helping people become more aware, more self-aware. Uh, you know, like with that, like I said, with that said, though, uh, I don't have any delusions that there's going to be this like mass, mass, mass movement and everything will change overnight. Yeah. Societies take decades to evolve. You know, they, and they, they may evolve or they may devolve. It could yeah. go both ways. 
if you study the history of social movements, uh, you go back to Italy, you know, 1920s fascism, how that developed. That developed over 30 years. It didn't just happen one night, that, oh, Italy's fascist now. It's like, no, that was a result of a whole bunch of sociological issues. It started around like the turn of the century and they just kept getting, kept getting worse. They kept getting more divisive. They became more prominent. Um, the 1960s revolution, you know, civil rights era, you know, that, that it suddenly happened overnight, like, oh, racism is over. No, you know, that was a result of many, many, many decades of you know, a huge, probably ma massive, massive, an infinite list of racial issues and tension and strife where finally it came to a head. You know, finally that became the, you know, the social issue of the day. Um, you know, so right now, like we're certainly in a liminal time period where things are breaking down. I don't expect the other side to be broken through for at least probably another five to six, maybe, maybe 10 years, maybe around 2030. Uh, you know, so what do you do in the time period? Yeah, I would equate it to almost being a time, maybe it's not the great recession right now, but similar to the great recession in a way that you're just going to have to survive. And, you know, better yet, you're going to have to learn how to thrive, which, you know, thankfully we have more tools now to do that than we did then. Yes, certainly. And if anything, you know, it's, sort of seeing the double-sided effect of the internet, you know, on one hand, uh, you know, there's people are in information silos that divide people and, you know, like that you could meet someone on the street and you could have a very, you could have almost the same philosophy about things, but because you've had completely different information sources, you could have, you could think that you hate each other. Um, and on the other hand, you know, you can connect with people that are, you know, around the world that share the same belief system as you with the internet and it can bring people together. It can prepare people better for the future that we're entering into. And it's sort of, you know, um, both directions, this tool is like changing everything about, uh, the nature of human relationships, at least in my opinion, and not to try and, I don't want to, uh, hypothesize too much or get like too vague or anything, but I'm always curious to get people's take on sort of like, what are some of those specific things that are happening in the future that we should be prepared for? Because, you know, it's, and also to not sound like too like doom and gloom and, you know, like the world is ending or anything, because just with that opportunity, with the change, with the shifts and everything that's going on, there's opportunity to prosper in this new environment. And then there's people who aren't paying attention. They're not spying the curve and they're going to ultimately, you know, be victim to whatever direction the, the current takes them. So it's like, in your mind, like, where are some of these, what are some of the indications of the new changes in the, of, uh, of what, what are some of the indications to you of the transformations in society right now that people could prepare for? Uh, and what are some of the things that to you would be like a signal that something big is happening? That's a good question. Um, you know, the, the term I would use to sort of designate this F changes. Um, yeah, I would call it like neo-feudalism would be the term if I had to give it a name. Neo-feudalism. So, yeah, neo-feudalism. Let's give it a name. But what you've seen happen the last you know, arguably 40 years since, uh, since going off the gold standard, since the modern monetary system was put into place, and this modern monetary theory, which is basically deficit spending, where you can always print more money because you can stay ahead of the, you can stay ahead of the debt so long as the economy grows, it won't be a problem. Um, it probably will be a problem eventually, but let's pretend that it won't be. So we end up in this this economic structure, which you could call like what I call like predatory capitalism. I got that from a Anand Garanda's. He's a New York Times writer, which I think he probably has been blocked on. 
Twitter, but whatever. <laughs> the book was good. But you, you have this predatory capital structure to the world. And this is not a criticism of capitalism outright, but the current state of capitalism. And this is, like I said, not, this is not to promote Marxism. But you have this capitalistic structure where the most important guiding value to every company in the world is, are we making a profit? It's not to the community. It's not to the state. It's not to the country. It's not to the public good. It's to our shareholders. And are we making money? And we have made the dollar. We have made profit, sort of the highest form of good. So that's a very amoral system. Um, and that creates a system that's very ripe for exploitation. Uh, so if you look at like well, Woods need a feudalism, well, you're going to create this economic structure where you're going to have extreme, extreme wealth inequality. And, and this is all statistically supported. Like I've, this is, I'm not pulling this out of my ass, obviously. You can go look this up. Absolutely. So you have, extre- yeah, you have extreme wealth inequality and you have a very small group in which all the wealth is concentrated and assets really. And then you have everybody else uh, and everybody else who's not in the wealthy bracket. Where are they doing? They're basically living their lives by subscription. So you're paying rent, you're paying on the lease. You're, you know, you're probably going to be, you know, you're paying for healthcare. You know, what is healthcare? What is health insurance? It's basically a rental system. Everything's become a subscription-based business. Um, even with the, you know, the, the current, you know, vaccine class. Yeah. You know, the, you know, there's talk about like, oh, you might need to get like a subscription. Uh, what was it? Like a vaccine booster each month. Like what? Um, yeah. Like, well, like, why are they doing this? Because it's money. Because they'll make money. If, like it, it, that truly is the answer. I mean, it's like why money? Why is BlackRock buying you know mil, uh, millions of dollars worth of you know single-family homes and starter homes because money? Because now you have a community where it's going to be owned by an asset management you know corporation. Oh, we're going to rent this house, and that's money. Uh, and I don't see that changing anytime soon because that 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 system does allow you to scale. It does allow companies a lot of flexibility to sort of do what they want. Is that good for the individual? Probably not. Uh, you know, is that good for a state? Probably not. Is that good for you know, even the country itself? No, because you're really putting power into, you're creating a power structure that's extremely plutocratic, um, which will probably eventually evolve into a kleptocracy where people are going to sort of steal from the economy. And you see that even in less developed countries where they're sort of like beholden to mega corporations and they have no freedom. Yeah, but, but that's all like that's developing right now. Like that's, that's not, like I said, it's not anything that's novel idea. Like that is happening today. It's going to keep happening. Yeah, like so, what do you do in that situation? You have to build personal wealth. You have to control how you make money yourself. Uh, hopefully, you are self-made, self-paid. Asset-wise, like what assets can you own? Of course, you could own land. You could own, you know, you could own your possessions outright. You know, crypto re- re- represents this sort of, you know, once in, you know, once in history opportunity where you can buy into an asset class and a, and a communications network and an economy where it's not beholden actually to any one dominating individual or group of individuals. So, you know, that's why crypto is so powerful amongst other reasons is, you know, it takes away the monopoly that banks have yep. that the current economic system has. So, you know, so there are ways to go about it, but you know, this requires being technologically savvy. You know, having a wallet that you store coins on, like you have to actually know what the fuck you're doing. Um, and crypto for a lot of people is, is still something that's you know, very scary or it's just, it's very unknown. Like how does it even really work? You know, wh- what's, what's a blockchain? What does that even mean? Yeah. Um, you know, and then even at the same time too, like, Oh, start your own business. I, I say this all the time on Twitter, start your own business, quit, start your own business. It's like, well, you know, why? Well, you know, as of like two days ago, a whole bunch of people found out they're going to be fired for not getting vaxxed. Oh, like, Oh gee, like, you know, maybe you should have started a business a year ago. 
Um, and it was, it's funny. I had a few people message me when I posted that were like, like, wow, yeah, you always should post that. But like, I, I wish I had listened to you sooner. Like I got that message from you. I'm, like, I'm sure. I, 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 I don't say this shit just to say it. And then I had people messaging me like, I saw what you posted. Like I, I, I quit my job a year ago and did start my own business. And like, it's, it's so good to know that this doesn't affect me. It's like, good. Fantastic. Wow. Um, you know, the, the answer to control is to increase your personal independence. And you can, you can do that. You're not being stopped from working for yourself. You're not being stopped from making your own money. Obviously, you're, you're not even with travel being somewhat restricted. You're not being stopped from the state that you want to live in or the people you want to connect with. Yeah, so we still have an immense level of personal freedom. You know, for, for a serf that was living in 16th century, 14th century Europe, you were pretty much stuck in whatever village you were in. You can go to the next country over and like, oh, you know, fuck this. Yeah. I'm not going to work for you anymore, you know, Mr. Lord. I'm going to go over this place. Like, you could try, but that, it would be difficult. You're going to be literally doing it on foot. Today, you don't like the state you're in? Go to a different one. You know, I mean, we've seen that exodus already in the United States. Uh, California, New York City, it's, it's kind of getting shitty. Let's go over to this better run, you know, more red state. You know, like, wh why is Florida exploding right now? Florida runs pretty good. Florida doesn't have any of these restrictions. People are coming yeah. to Florida. You know, vote with your feet. You're still fully capable of doing that. Uh, and people have to take advantage of it. Yeah. And at the same time, for those who are moving, who are being like sort of the first movers, now you have the opportunity to create communities. You got the opportunity to be, you know, living in a city where the energy is dynamic and people are building things. And there's not this static, stuck, stale energy and the sense of cynicism. You know, so it's not like the whole world has gone bad. There's lots of places that are thriving. You know, go to those places. Uh, you, know, be, you know, be willing to be bold. You know, 200, 300 years ago, I mean, this is this is like the, the cliche about you know America being like a land of immigrants. You know, it's land of immigrants. Okay, whatever. Um, yeah, they're predominantly like white Protestants from England, but whatever. Uh, America was legitimately built by people that were in their home country and said, you know, this kind of sucks. Let's just go to this new country. You know, adopt that pioneering attitude. Yeah, you're not a tree. You can move. Absolutely. And this sort of, I mean, I think this is a good segue into, you know, the reason why I wanted to talk to you today um, is because a few months ago, and I think you've just consistently been recommending this book, The Sovereign Individual, uh, yep. James Dale Davidson and Lord William Reese Mogg. And unbelievable book. Uh, I've had quite the experience reading it, especially with all the events that are happening in the news today, where it's always interesting to me to read books from like the nineties where they're trying to call, mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of predict what's going to happen in the next, uh, you know, 20, 30 years in the turn of the century, whatever. Um, and this one is unbelievably, uh, you know, at first when I started reading, I'm like, there's no way the United States would fall apart. You know, I kind of live in this world, you know, this kind of, uh, world where it's like, Hey, the United States, best country on earth. You know, there's no way this could ever happen. It's almost just like the regular patriotic propaganda. I think, you know, most Americans grew up with um, until you start to look at the news and you see what's happening today with the, you know, massive migrations between States, people really choosing their government, uh, people choosing their destinies by, you know, leaving large companies and working for themselves. Uh, even today, you know, I saw you tweeted and uh, you know, there's an article about a legislature in New Hampshire that is, uh, trying to push a vote to secede from the United States, which is, yeah. you know, it's it's something that we're also seeing like other parts of, uh, you know, Oregon want to join Idaho, you know, Montreal wants to separate from Canada. There's a, a kind of globally, we're seeing this change of events, this kind of change in the current of, you know, these large nation states and 
then the, you know, duality with it's kind of developing your own personal sovereignty. And so I'm curious, first off, like when did this book hit you? Like, how did you discover it? And then, uh, you know, in your experience, how much are you like able to map this onto everyday reality? So I think I found that book and, um, I, I, I wish I could say who recommended it. I actually don't know, but it, it came to prominence. Divine. Um, uh, <laughs> 2018 is when I read it. Yeah. 2000, yeah. 2018, 2018 is when I read it. And I was already kind of like future casting at that point. Cause I could just see the, see the United States changing dramatically. And I read that book and I was like, wow, this, I think this is pretty much like calling the future pretty accurately. And it was talking about, it, it doesn't say crypto in the book per se, but it talks about this rise of digital currency yeah. You know, and digital cyber financial currency. networks. Yeah. Cyber currency was the term for it. I'm like, this is already happening. I'm like, oh, this is, this is like, this is amazing. Um, you know, but you know, that book recommends like, okay, if you want to become a sovereign individual, like what do you got to do? Like you have to separate yourself from this nation state identity and in the nation state identity, I was already familiar with because having studied history you know, in high school, you know, even, you know, I still study history. Uh, the nation state phenomena is a very recent phenomenon. You know, historically for, the, the overwhelming majority of human history. How did empires develop? How did nations develop? They were tribes and then they were ethnic groups. And then one ethnic group, maybe in particular might dominate an area. And then they call it a kingdom, you know, based on the people being of the, the overall plot of land. And if you travel the world ever globally, you know, this is something that, it's difficult for Americans to conceptualize because we don't actually think of ourselves as being tribes. Like we're yeah. from a state. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm California. I'm from California. Cool. You know, you're, you're from Michigan. You're from Florida. You're from DC. You're from Vermont. Yeah. We don't have blood in the soil the way that someone does. If you go to this name of country, you go to Thailand, you go to Romania, you go to Bulgaria, you go to, you go to Egypt, you go to Greece. Um, you go to, you go to Turkey, you visit various countries and you, and you realize these countries are not just, you know, let's say Turkey, for example, they're not just Turkish. It's this whole collection of different tribes and ethnicities that live under what was the Ottoman empire, which is today now Turkey. And in most places in the world that are not the United States or, you know, well, South America, you to include as well, but for places that are not the United States, those people have been living there for hundreds of years, thousands of years. Like they are of the land. That's how they identify themselves. Um, and that's originally how most states and nations and empires formed. And you, like I said, you'd have a dominating group. They come to power, they sort of unite the people, then you go into the next group. Um, you'd have king, you'd have, you'd have a line of succession, he'd get replaced, and then there'd be the next line of succession. Uh, you know, you, see, you saw this in France, you, see, you saw this in Britain. Like, there's so many countries where like, that's how it operated. It was a kingdom. Um, there's a kingdom and collection of people. And then we get to the nation state period in the 20th century where you know, whether it, I mean, yeah, it was both intentional and it was I probably just like natural evolution where that emphasis on ethnicity and that kind of blood is de-emphasized. And let's just think of ourselves as being a nation of one people, you know, under this, you know, sort of this mega structure, which is now, you know, the modern state. And that's who we are. We're all British. We're Irish. We're Scottish. We're American. And that allows you to fit in more people and you can accommodate different identities. And if you have a shared set of social values, it actually can work quite well. Um, but that comes with its own pitfalls. Um, and, and we've seen that in Europe. We've seen that in the United States where when you get a very digruse, di, di, digruse, <laughs> diverse group of people together, 
yep. and they're diverse in a way where they don't share social values at all, it just starts breaking down because they, they now long, if you don't have shared social values, then your perception of how you want your society to evolve, you don't have one. It, you're going to be at odds with each other. Um, and that's progressively gotten worse and worse and worse the last two decades. And yeah, in the situation you live in now, and the book talks about this, like violence is increasing, not violence as in war. We're not going to into a world war. We're not lining up one army next to another army, but in places where there is social disarray, you know, California, for example, petty crime is increasing. Uh, crimes of opportunity are increasing. Larceny, uh, vehicle break-ins, uh, you know, battery and theft. Uh, you see this, or there's this, there's like new talk now of like, oh, how are, how are people going to protect themselves? Like, oh, I guess we'll have to kind of like form a gang or like a local neighborhood watch slash mafia to yeah. keep the peace. Uh, you know, these things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. These old ideas that were sort of done away with in the 20th century, now they're reemerging, reemerging again, saying they're increasingly irrelevant. Uh, so, like you know, so like, what do you do in that situation? Like I said, you know, you have to be positioned, you know, geographically. You also have to be positioned, you know, financially, where you're not stuck somewhere. Um, yeah, and that's you know, that's my, you know, fear for a lot of people. They're going to find themselves in a situation where they can't leave. I mean, I have, I have some guys in my inner circle group who are in, in Australia. They were in that situation. Like, oh, oh Australia, yeah. oh man, this this is getting really heavy-handed. Let's just say it was getting really heavy-handed. These lockdowns are getting really strict. Oh, now you can't leave, which is a very weird thing to think about because for anyone that's probably been alive the last hundred years, you've never been in a situation where you, you can't leave your country. You can't leave your house. You can't leave your county. You know, maybe you couldn't travel to somewhere, but should be prohibited from moving at all. Suddenly it becomes very real to people that we have lost something fundamental. Um, you don't want to be in that situation at all. Like you, don't, you don't want to be in that situation because what comes next? When you had everything taken from you, now you're at a point where you're renegotiating your ability to, what, go to the store, you yeah. know, board a plane, you know, drive in your car. You know, rights taken are, are not rights given. Um, you know, anyone that is... I think if you're, anyone that's smart knows that, you know, governments, once they take power, they don't give it back. You know, and the, the modern, you know, nation state, you know, nanny state, which every, every country right now, that's like a first world country is somewhat socialized, even if it says it's not, is there's all these ex expectations now as to what the state's supposed to do. Um, you know, the United States is like that. You know, we, we, we can say we have Democrats and conservatives, but the U.S. overall is becoming increasingly socialized. It's now expected that your state or your, your federal government should do this and this and this and this and this, and you should give more money and we should all have STEMI checks and you know, you, you know, universal income is now in the conversation and yep. we deserve healthcare, we deserve all these things. And some of this is not unmerited, um, but you're creating this super top heavy onerous government structure that, okay, like we're gonna give you all these things, we can also take things away. And, and now you found out the hard way. And so the alternative is, you know, developing your own sovereignty uh, which, you know, sort of with the technological improvements, you know, with the internet and, uh, you know, with like what you've been able to do with your own life, uh, you know, you're able to essentially establish your own, you know, be your own entity and vote with your dollars, vote with your feet and choose mm -hmm. your future. I'm curious from your perspective, both given that you, you know, have a track record in developing this for yourself um, and your you know, uh, ability to spot these trends. What did you do to prepare for your own existence? You know, it's like, there's, uh, like a part of me, which is like drives to, 
I'm like, hey, you know, I could be a, I could be a, a prepper. I could get a nice plot of land out in like the middle of nowhere, you know, stock it full of food, um, you know, do all that stuff. But the alternative is you may need to just up and leave and, uh, you know, not have a place that you can call home. It's like, sort of, where do you fall in that as far as, you know, preparing for this in a reasonable way, not becoming a uh, psychotic prepper by any stretch of the imagination, um, you know, because that can be equally un, uh, you know, can can be equally uh, useless in the event of emergency. Where where oh, do yeah. you fall on this? Uh, you know, personally, what do you do in your own life to kind of like align your uh, align your objectives to be ready for the future? So you have to profit from possibilities. I don't advocate prepping at all. That's like a, in my, in my mind, that's a sort of a cop-out solution. The world can go to shit. So if I just buy land somewhere in the middle of nowhere and I build a farm and like it's completely self-sustaining with a wood-burning stove, now I don't have to worry about anything. I'm like, okay, like there are, you know, in, in an absolute cataclysmic situation that might actually happen. But guess what? The world always rebuilds. Yeah, I think that think that gets that gets very overlooked by the nihilist kind of perspective that people often have. Like I'm not one for cynicism in all that way, where even when things get really bad, the world rebuilds. The Black Plague happened. You know what? Europe rebuilt. You know, the um the Antonin Plague happened even before that years you know, prior. Uh, you know what? The Empire rebuilt. Uh, oh, the Ottomans invaded. You know what? The city, you know, Constantine Constantinople, oh, it became Istanbul. You know what? It's still a nice city. It's a great yeah. city, the greatest city in the world. Okay, cool, whatever. Um, so, you know, things like invasion and, you know, short of having your entire society genocided top to bottom. Yeah, you might have a natural, you know, callousness event. You might have, lose electricity. You might just have an economy that really has gone to shit. Okay. There's still opportunity available. You know, today, you know, it's in today's world. You know, I point out, you know, a lot there. Obviously, there's physical assets. Like I, I buy, like I'll just give, I'll give actual examples. So like I, I still buy into the stock market every single month. I got that set on to the auto invest. You know, why are you buying the stock market? What if it crashes? Yeah, it might crash. But on a long enough time scale, the US economy is worth trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. And it's crashed before, crashed in the 1930s, crashed in the 1980s, not as bad. And it came back. It might take 10, 20 years, but it comes back. So I'm making a long scale bet that the US economy may, may not the country as we know today, but the economy is still going to exist. I, I feel that's a very reliable bet. Okay, so yeah, so I, I buy in the stock market. I buy crypto. You know, crypto. Yeah, I, I know all the criticisms. You know, what if what if the what if the internet goes away? I always crack up at that one. What if electricity goes away? What if, what if there's an EMP blast that wipes out everything that's electronic in the world? And we're living like in the middle. Like, if that happens, then if you are someone that owns horses, I guess like you're the richest guy on the <laughs> fucking planet at that point. Okay, great. But I don't think the internet's going to disappear overnight for forever. Nor do I think electricity is going to go away for forever. I, like I don't take those things seriously. What could happen? Could the dollar you know, really decline in value? Yeah, that's already happening. Inflation's already up. Okay. Well, what's crypto doing? Oh, crypto is going up and up and up and up and up and up. You know, the total capitalization capitalization of the market right now is over two trillion dollars. Yeah, maybe you should buy some of that. What about the internet? The internet's growing massively, and and now just you know, and now this mean you know, digital things like NFTs. But if you have digital properties, if you have a following, if you have a network of people, if you have an email list with thousands of people on that you can contact, if you have websites, if you have content, if you have products that you sell, if you have a business that actually caters to that economic interaction between people or business to business or business to consumer, you got an asset. 
economic business, you know, the online businesses are insane. You have crazy profit margins, extremely lean to run. Um, yeah, like they're, they're unparalleled compared to most brick and mortar businesses that way. And, yeah, and even if you do want brick and mortar, there are tons of franchises that exist. There's tons of business opportunities that exist. Baby boomers are getting older. Gen Xers are gonna get older. There's a huge, huge, huge market for aging elderly people with money where they wanna spend it. There's a huge market for healthcare. Um, so the opportunities are all there. And so like, well, what do you do? Well, you gotta buy into stuff. Yeah, you actually have to put some money into it, literally. You know, like I said, so I, you know, stocks I buy every month, crypto I buy every month. There's people that I individually invest my time with to increase their exposure and help build their followings. Why? Because now I'm creating this really massive network. So if I want to get on the phone with somebody and like, you know, I need whatever the hell. Hey, man, I need, uh, I'll, I'll pick something. I need military training. I need to know how to fire a gun really well. I want to spend two weeks target shooting and learning how to live off the land. Can you help me out? Yeah, sure. Come to my facility that I have, and we'll do that for you. Wow, that's that's crazy, cool. So I can I can go get survivalist training, you know, tomorrow if I want to. And you know, most things that I would, you know, let's say need in a situation where it's like, do you do you know somebody that does this? Well, I got the modern Rolodex. I got my yeah. newsletter. I got my own network. I can just I can literally make a phone call or send a DM, and someone will reply within minutes, and cool. You know, let's make the thing happen. Um, I'm, I'm not an atomized person, you know, living in isolation where it's like, oh, fuck, I, don't, I, I can't depend on anybody. You know, I, I know people I can depend on. And I have people that depend on me, and it's, it's mutually beneficial. It's, it's a great thing. You want to create that kind of circle that way where everybody's helping each other out. Yeah, and so, like, you, you can do all these things. You know, all that's possible. You know, even living in Florida, I'm having – I'm trying to set up a meetup, like, in November for my, for my group of guys and some other people. Awesome. Let's get 100 people together in Florida. Let's all, let's all become friends. You know, people are already doing these things in real life. You, know, you, you have to make the initiative. You, you have to take, you have to take action on it. Um, you're not going to be, I mean, you know, if, if you don't take action, you're just going to be alone. And you're yeah. going to be one of those people wondering like, you know, what do I do? What do I do? Talk to someone. You know, actually, you know, contribute something to the world. You, you got to produce more than you consume. Uh, you know, so, I mean, so that, so that, you know, that, that's how I would handle that. And at the same time, too, speaking on more, on a more geopolitical global level, Certain countries, you know, even the United States, parts of the U.S., there is going to be a decline in quality of life. That's already happening. But in other states, there's going to be an increase in quality of life. So go to that place. If you if you really want to be adventurous, there's we could call like third world countries right now. You know, second world countries. You know, uh, you know El Salvador being you know being an example. Some of the South American countries where they're talking about like they're going to use crypto. They're going to embrace it. They're going to make it legal tender. You know, these countries have a once in a lifetime opportunity for themselves where it's like, oh shit, like we can basically, we can basically say fuck off the IMF. We don't have to take out loans from the US or the Chinese. We can build up the strength of our own economy because we're a small country and we're not going to have to be dependent upon paying debt to some other bigger country organization. Like we can do this with crypto. That's really freaking cool. Yeah, I expect other countries to follow suite doing that. Certainly. Even the city of Miami right now has talked about that. It's like, oh, we're like, we accept Bitcoin. We're going to support the crypto industry, you know, we don't know how, but we're going to. Awesome, let's do this. Um, you know, so the grassroots support is definitely there. You just, you need to go to those places and you need to connect with those kinds of people. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, sort of these, uh, I don't know how to describe them, an online, offline network. You know, there's people that you interact with online. That's actually, you know, that's how we were connected in the first place. Mm -hmm. I understand that you have your own, uh, you know, you have your own private group as well. And I'm seeing these pop up all over the place. And I mean, you know, I'm curious from your experience, both uh, sort of 
being a part and also, uh, you know, having your own group, how is that, uh, you know, what can you say to someone who's skeptical about these uh, organizations or, and joining one and, and paying the cost of it? Cause usually they do not come, you know, it's not usually like a free to enter thing. And I know I see people all day on the internet sort of complain about that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> what, what do you say to that? I mean, th this is what goes unrecognized. If you look at uh, social institutions in the United States, at one time, the U.S. had tons of fraternal organizations, had tons of community organizations. Like, if you look at, I think, I think it peaked right around the 1970s. I want to say, where it could, things like Moose Lodges, you know, things like you know, Freemasons, uh, you know, yeah, Freemasons, or you know, community block parties, or you know, having like you know, neighborhood networks. Um, you know, again, you can look this all up, but the United States at one time had very strong, uh, you know. Social cohesion. Yeah, yeah. It had very strong social cohesion, but it was it was on like the community, city, literally neighborhood level, and that started to disappear around the nineteen seventies, and suddenly it declined up until very recently. And now, you know, people are sort of like it's been like a revitalized idea of like, oh wait, like I don't want to not know my neighbors. I don't want to not have any kind of network. Like let's do that over again. Yeah. yeah. So people think it's this new idea. It's not, it's not a new idea. You know, what are you doing when you meet people online? You're part of an online community. Okay, you're you're finding a tribe. You're meeting like-minded people. You know, maybe some of you are, you know, much more action-oriented than some of the others. Make a group, and yeah, you know, when, when people obviously pay for something, they feel like it's worthwhile. Like you know, if you're if you're going to be, I mean, flat out, if you're going to be cheap about it, it's like I don't want to pay for shit. Like that's just entitlement. Yeah, that's like, a... it, it, it's it, it's very weird to me. Like but I, I think of all the money that people spend on college education, for God's sake. Um, this entertainment bullshit. And then the idea of like, you know, paying to be a part of a group where you're actually trying to actively improve each other and, and make more money and, you know, be more self-aware and develop financial independence. And, you know, like really basically increase your personal education. Like, Oh, that, that's stupid. Okay. No, like, okay. Okay. Like you're not going to make it. Yeah. Honestly. You're not going to make it. <laughs> well, that's the meme of the hour, right? It's the not going to make it NGMI. Like, Who's going to make it? What do you have to be paying attention to? And, you know, just to add to that, like, I think that there's so much value that comes from interactions and network. Even so with college, you know, it's like you could spend all that money, burn that money on tuition and fees and books and so forth. But the real value that anyone will tell you about uh, university is the people that you meet there, not yeah. so much the, the, the course content and such. You know, we've already talked about how this information is available online and it's, you know, there's the deluge of information, like you said, um, and that that value of meeting people in real life is tremendous, especially if there is an instance where the Internet is no longer what it is uh, or if it becomes more locked down, you don't have the same freedom to uh, maybe say what you want to say on there. You know, it's going to come down to, you know, who do you know in real life? And, you know, it's sort of uh, interesting uh, interesting part of this world that I'm noticing is people from the internet are starting to group themselves in certain areas. Like you're seeing so many of these people off like mm -hmm. crypto Twitter going to Miami. You're seeing a lot of people accumulate in the same local geographical areas. And, uh, you know, I just say to anyone listening, it's like, watch those trends, watch where people are going because, you know, 
where the people that are like-minded to you are going today, it's likely where you'll want to be tomorrow in the event that, you know, these, this fragmentation continues, you know, you look at, you know, if do you want to stay in California or do you want to move to a place like uh, Florida, that's attracting a lot of the people that you want to be around anyways. Uh, what do you say to people that have cold feet about making these large moves, making these life decisions? Cause I think that's another thing that I've noticed in your uh, you know, the history that you've described to me is, You've been able to jump into these things, jump at these trends where one of the most common objections I get from anybody is that they're sort of afraid to take that next step. They're afraid to diversify their portfolio into crypto. They're afraid to quit their job and start their own individual business. What do you say to people that have that cold feet about diving into the unknown and sort of the undefined uh, you know, worlds of you know, the digital future? Well, you do or you don't. If not them, it will be someone else. You know, it's very common that people have imposter syndrome where they just lack confidence with making those kinds of decisions because it's a bold decision. If you don't make it, someone else will, and, and they'll succeed. You know, the the internet, and I would say even in real life as well, you know, it's, it's it's very common that we overestimate the stress of any sort of situation. You know, we overestimate like the we think of all of the bad things that could happen if it doesn't work out. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You know, the actual consequences are probably going to be much more minor than you think they would be. Um, and what if it does work out? What, what if you fly? Yeah, I've, I've described the same formula for years for people that start internet-based businesses. Like, all right, so you have to create content. You need a, a strategy to get traffic to whatever it is that you're doing, your business or service, and you do it every day. It's, it's not anything profound. It's a stupidly simple formula. People don't do it. Why? Well, it's hard. You have to do it every day. You have to work a job every day. Well, what's the difference? Um, you, know, you realize that there, there is a segment of the population where they need the instructional list of steps given to them. Otherwise, they just will not take action. Which, if, if that's you, then that's you. Uh, if you are someone where you are self-made, self-driven, like you, you want to be in control of your life, then act. Yeah, there, there's no, you know, special, there's no special words I could give you. It just, it, like, it, like I said, familiar comes down to either you do or you don't. Um, and you'll see people that do, and they're gonna, they're gonna succeed, and then you're gonna wish you were them. Yeah. So, a lot of people just simply won't make it. Then, uh, do you got time for a couple more questions? Oh yeah. All right. So one that I wanted to ask you is. With all the change and opportunity, you know, sometimes I just, my mind projects out, you know, to some ambiguous period, 40, 50 years away or something where assuming that many of the systems today have fallen apart, the world has changed and we have the opportunity to create systems, uh, you know, kind of rebuild, you know, you get into that rebuilding phase after, you know, some dramatic level of change to you. What, what is, do you, uh, first off, I'm I'm curious, do you also think in those terms of there'll be this point where things are sort of rebuilding, uh, you know, uh, they're sort of re-energized in the way that the population was maybe, you know, 50, 60 years ago, post-World War II, where we have that kind of energy again? Um, and if so, you know, what excites you about that time? What, what do you think about as far as, you know, what the future of society could hold in, in you know, if we had the opportunity to rebuild today? I think the building spirit will probably, as I said, reach critical mass like in five to six years. It, it's proceeding towards that point, but it's not fully there yet. Um, because it, what, what needs to happen for that sort of that critical mass to you know, finally emerge is that you need to be completely, uh, 
you need to be completely unafraid of like the nation state response where it's like, Hey, let's, let's secede from the union. You know, let's say for state, it's like, Oh, what if the government attacks us? Well, if it doesn't, what if we just call their bluff and it's like, all right, all right, come, come shoot your own citizens. Then come fucking do it. motherfuckers. Come do it. Um, like you're going to hit that point where like, that's always a breakaway point. When any, anytime any state fractures, any empire fractures where it's like, fuck this, we're going to start our own kingdom. Do something about it. We dare you. Uh, that, that, that will be the point where it's like, oh, wait, like if this state can secede, we can secede. Hey, be, wait, this group of people literally built their own city. Let's, we can build our own city. Yeah. Once it becomes fully possible and it just takes off. Yeah. Um, the, the big game changer, I think for like legitimate humanity, and this is, this is very out of left field, but if we can ever achieve astro mining, so the number of extraterrestrial bodies in the solar system that pass by us, there's a lot of them. Now, a lot of those asteroids have immense, 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 immense material resources. They got gold, they got platinum, they got rare metals, they got iron, and they're, they're huge. If we could ever actually grab one of those and, actually, and, and, and literally mine it, we can mine the asteroid, we would solve every material shortage, shortage imaginable that we suffer from today. Where, you know, today there's a chip shortage. Oh, there's not enough, uh, there's not enough palladium. Oh, we have a shortage of platinum. You know, these, these very particular minerals that we need lithium to produce chips. Lithium, yeah, like if you solve that completely, where it's like we, we have no longer have a shortage of anything, basically. So anything that's, um, whether it be, um, you know, whether it be subtraction engineering or, you know, app, you know, at, um, yeah, addition engineering, where you're like sort of like 3D printing, where you're just putting stuff together, very low waste. Um, you know, if we could do that, that's where you'd see like a huge, probably like peak. Well, I would say peak, but you'd see the sort of next step in like civilizational progress of like, oh shit, we can build anything. Now, if we can build anything, well, let's let's think of shit to build, right? Let's dream big. You know, could we colonize the moon? Could create you know some first space stations? Could we go out in the stars? You know, that idea is, it, I mean, th this is the thing with the modern age. Like, it's very cynical of like we, we don't think about space travel anymore. It's like Space travel, that's for rich assholes. Fuck them. What does space travel represent? It represents pioneering spirit. You know, how can we expand our literal sphere of influence you know, beyond the planet? Yeah, how, how can we start doing that? Yeah, you know what? If we get a big enough asteroid and it's got 100,000 tons of rare, rare minerals on it, oh, well, now we can do a whole lot. And we can build and build and build. We can try things. We can experiment. Uh, and that, that will be a cool time period. Yeah, that will be a probably time period of human history where maybe we, start, we finally start seeing like high technology. Things that are thought of today, you know, they're you know, hypothetical or you know, prototypes. Now they're actually being built. You know, now we actually have that that, you know, not utopia, but we have that scientific future where we got, you know, flying cars, or we got. Let's say we have hyper efficient public transportation. We have you know energy like truly energy efficient cities. We're not dealing with a power you know supply limitation problem anymore. You know how far out is that? It's it's probably 20, 30 years in the future. But I think by mid-century, by the time I'm an older man, let's say when I'm in my like 60s, that's when I think I'll actually I'll like see that finally come to fruition. I'm like, all right, like it finally happened. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see uh, at what time frame. I mean, I always think that you know progress is can only be as uh, you know big as the frontier. You know, so if we're capping ourselves to to Earth, then it's sort of like at some point we're going to bottom out and you know, people like the cynicism sort of takes over, whereas like turning to space, turning to, you know, opening up that world of, of possibilities and, you know, kind of infinite growth, like you said, or infinite industry with, you know, an abundance of natural resources, like, you know, sort of create, makes anything possible, uh, which is pretty exciting. Uh, as far as, uh, 
you know, also just optimistic future facing stuff. I mean, like what else are you excited about in the future that, uh, that maybe, you know, we've talked a lot about the changes and the turbulence and the, and the disruption, but it's like, you know, what is there to be excited about? What should people, you know, in, in, with your, uh, ability to spot the trends, what do you think people should are sleeping on now that they should be excited about? I would say the ability, so I mean, this is where it's paradoxical. Like, so neo-feudalism, you got this extreme wealth inequality. At the same time, this is the easiest time in history to make money. Because legitimately, if you just have an internet connection, you can make money. Yeah. Which is it's just fucking absurd. It legitimately is. You can, you can be one guy or two, two people, three people. If you have a Wi-Fi connection, you can build a business, you can create a product, you can create a service, you can educate yourself, whether it be coding or something else, or, you know, there's all these intricate moving pieces at the back in the internet and you can innovate, you can educate and you now are financially free, you know, and the upper limit of your income is really wherever you want it to be. You know, how big do you want to grow? You know, okay. Well, if you want, I want to be make millions of dollars. Okay. Like you can do that. So, you know, think of a big idea basically or go into a big industry and like, that's, that's all possible. Um, you know, upward mobility is like, there's no limits on it. There's actually not like that, that. Like that's the irony to this. Like as extreme as the, the wealth distribution is upward mobility, there's no actual limitations. I mean, we could bullshit and say, Oh, what about systemic racism or dumb, some dumb shit. Like who gives a fuck? You know, I, I have a guy that I pay in India right now in Ethereum every single month. Yeah. And like he, he lives in like, where's he live? Like Hyderabad. Like that, that's, that's wild to me. I'm like, okay, I'm paying this guy in crypto on the other side of the world to help run my business. Yeah. You know, how do you get that job working for me? Sent me a DM. It's insane. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if, if you want to, like, if you want to make money, like you can make money, like, and, and, and money is freedom. Like money fundamentally is freedom. Uh, like you can't dismiss that. Like you talk about what does it mean to be free? Make a bunch of fucking money. Like, honestly, just make a bunch of fucking money because if you're wealthy, if you manage to get to that state of affluence, the problems that the common man deals with are no longer your problems. Now you have a different set of problems and it's a lot better to deal with financial wealth problems than it is to deal with, you know, poverty problems. Um, so do that for yourself. You know, there's this idea that I think it's almost like a psyop that you almost like you, you hear this, especially like 20th century of like, you know, not everybody's cut out to work for themselves. It's bullshit, bullshit. I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Fucking whatever. For most of human history, you would have had a farm. You have lived on like an agricultural plot of land. You have actually been responsible for your own subsistence. You probably have the skills to pay yourself and you know, manage a business at some level. Is it going to be a billion dollar business? Okay, probably not. Is it enough to live on? Sure, it is. You, know, you don't undersell yourself that way. You know, I, I call it like the artisan economy, where you know, 200 years ago, if you want to, you know, have a higher standard of living, you'd learn a skilled trade. And you'd start doing that trade. And then maybe you'd eventually teach other people to do the trade and businesses arose out of that. You know, the, the, you know, the guys that were shipbuilders eventually became the guys that owned the fleets of ships. Like, you know, literally that, that's kind of how you know, companies came to prominence or, you know, came to existence. Yes. You know, so that, that's all possible. Um, and then like, you know, the, the other things I'm optimistic about, like for this, for this, those countries or for those states and cities that are embracing the future, they're going to do so well. These, they have all the intellectual capital. They have all the enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, so it might be bad a few states over, but it's, it's freaking great here. Um, you know, that, that spirit of building was lost last few years and it's finally starting to come back. 
Like you, you have to dare to dream. You, like, you really do. You have to dare yeah. to dream. What can we build together? You know, not, not who could we work for? What could we build together? And the United States is still the most business friendly, best country in the world for making money. If you can find a way to get paid in USD, you are golden. You still have an immense advantage over every other nation. And everybody wants US dollars still. You know, we saw Afghanistan get taken over by the Taliban. Okay, that happened. You know, all, all the politicians were fleeing Afghanistan. They're getting their houses you know, raided after they've left. What do they find? You know, stacks of US dollars. <laughs> Yeah, like you know, that, that was their backup. You know, that, that was that was their backup currency. Um, that, that was their store value. It was USD. So inflation obviously is happening, but USD is not going away. Yeah, and, and the United States is still materially extre- an extremely rich country. It's got first dibs on every single supply chain. Like it, it's it's going to work out. It might be rough for a period of time, but it's going to work out. Awesome, man. I mean, I love it. I love the idea of tapping into that entrepreneurial spirit runs deep in the United States and, uh, you know, surrounding yourself with that kind of energy. I think it's, I'm with you. It's, it's going to be unbelievably abundant. What's created through that. Um, last question for you, you a wealth of knowledge. And with that knowledge comes great perspective. And, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, from everything we've talked about today, I think, uh, people would be surprised if they had never met you or talked to you before that, you know, you had started uh, with the ambitions of being a, uh, ballet, uh, you know, ballet dancer, liberal arts college, mm-hmm. personal <laughs> trainer, um, and to, you know, have such a wide perspective on the world and, you know, all the trends that are currently occurring and how to get on top of them. And which I think you do obviously tremendously well at, and, uh, also echoing that on the internet and on Twitter and sharing with your followers. I think it's just, you know, you're one of the best followers on the internet thousand percent. Um, with that, where does the information come from for you? Where are some of the books, uh, influences that you would recommend people sort of tap into to understand a little bit more about uh, what built your mental framework? Um, so, okay, there's, there's two parts to this. So the, the, the old paradigm for sense making, so this is what really like a lot of familiar what we're talking about. How do you make sense of the world? You know, if you're telling me that like, I can't follow the narrative and like the, these old ways of thinking are not working, like, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, I, you know, ontologically, epistemologically, like we're talking about sense, like, you know, how, how do we reason our way through reality? Um, so one of the big changes that everyone needs to do that gives you better sense making is news you need to disregard completely as this being a source of credible information. If you want to know what is happening anywhere in the world in particular, you actually like what well, you want to know legitimately factually, find someone who lives there or find a person who specifically works directly in, in that industry and follow them. You know, this is why Twitter is amazing. You can curate a network of people where if I want to know what's happening in Afghanistan, I have a list of people that I follow who live in Afghanistan, who like they, they live there. I can ask them, Larry, send them the DM firsthand. What's going on today in Kandahar? You know, what's happening in Kabul? I'm not beholden to relying on rooters of like, well, the news said this. I, I don't give a fuck what the news says Larry, about anything. You know, like, you know it's, it's negative credibility at this point. And anyone can do this. Anyone can. So I, I call it like a sense-making network. You know, I want to know what's happening with the economy. I want to know what's happening with China. I, I want to know what's happening in my, my own state. Like there's, there's news feeds. There's individuals that cover all these things. If, if you live in, you know, if I live in, uh, like, uh, I remember when I lived in, in Venice, I'll give an example. I live in California. There was a, a feed I followed on Venice and an Instagram account as well. They would report on local crime in the area. And the people that made that account lived in Venice and Santa Monica. And they, cut, they just kept up to date on the police scanners. They actually did. 
Um, <laughs> you know, so I mean, it, it, that's like a very simple thing, right? But it's very, it's very innovative because the way most people, like I said, think about making sense of the world is that you're going to rely upon like a secondhand source. You can get firsthand sources. So you can curate this network of individuals that provide you intelligence. And this is if you actually ever study the history of like a, a spy craft and, you know, what is like a, you know, the central intelligence agency, like what do they do? You know, very, very fucking swarthy cloak and dagger shit. This is what intelligence agencies do. Like this is fundamentally what they do. You can do the same thing. Uh, we, I want to know what's happening and you know, pick a country, Morocco. All right. Like let's go to Morocco and build a relationship with somebody that lives in Morocco and then if we know what's happening in Morocco, we ask the guy that lives in Morocco. Like, I mean, like it, I'm making it very redundant, but it actually is that simple. Um, so this is what intelligence agencies do. They do this all over the world. They just yeah. have a station in that country or that town or that city. And they just have on the ground contacts of like, so, hey, can you tell us what's going down right now? And then, oh, okay, well, we, we are, our sources in such and such country say this is what's happening. It's like, Okay, well, my sources that literally live there right now, who I could talk to, they say this. So I don't need to rely on your sources. They're probably unreliable and completely fabricated. Since the news fabricates pretty much 100% of the news all the time. Um, so create your own intelligence network. Um, and this is what having it like a network itself is good for. Like to be with my inner circle group I have, there's over, you know, we have like around like 400 guys actively in that group. They live all over the world. It's like, I want to know what's happening in Brazil. This, I, I just want an opinion. What's happening right now in Brazil in the election? Like, what, how, how did the Brazilian people feel? Since I don't live there, I can go ask my buddy who's Brazilian, who lives in San Paulo. What, what's it like right now where you're at? Oh, this is what's happening. Oh, that thing gives a whole breakdown. Oh, wow, that's really cool. I, I don't need to open up a newspaper. It'd be, it'd be behind. Um, so you have you have 24/7, you know, sense making, you know, intelligence. You have a, you have a net, you have a potential for an intelligence network literally at your fingertips. You can create. That's the first thing. Um, you know, in terms of books to read, you know, like The Sovereign Individual, obviously I could recommend that. That's a great book. Um, I don't read too many things that are current, current, like but, you know, pop, what I call like sort of the pop science, pop culture, pop, you know, political books. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like the fire and fury kind of shit where like you know, the Trump administration or this is what's yeah. happening. A, a lot of them are very much like flavor of the moment. Yeah, I doubt they're going to give you any real insight into a situation. You'd be better off almost just probably following the author online, on the, you know, necessarily even reading the book. Um, you know, but you know, the older books that like, I've read for perspective, like I'm reading a biography right now of Saladin, uh, the Muslim ruler from the 12th century, who conquered Jerusalem. You know, studying history and taking that sociological perspective is helpful. Um, you know, Oswald Spengler's The Decline of the West is one. It's a really good one. Rene Guénon um, is another. He's, he's a French uh, author from like the 19th century. Um, yeah, but book book wise, like, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. I, I would never discourage people from reading, but I think most books are actually going to be sort of like behind the curve. They're being written as you know as things as situations changing. Um, you're better off just following people, following you know like on Twitter or you know Instagram or. You know, even even YouTube, for example, is quite amazing with its reporting. I'm astounded. Sometimes it's accounts I find where I'm like, wow, this guy's reporting on this here. Shit. Um, you know, like, you know, so why do you read books? Like you're reading books more for like a broader, holistic, you know, psychohistorical perspective. Um, you know, which is very there's various authors that are good for that. I mean, that, that covers so many different subjects, obviously. Um, yeah, there like there was one book I read from the 19 was the 1980s. Um 
the closing of the American mind. I think it was Alan Bloom. I think it was. Uh, and so there's another book that came out recently by Jonathan Haidt that has a similar title. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, yeah, the close, yeah, the closing of the American mind. So this is a book from the like 1980s, and he just this is I, I found it fascinating because in this book written in the 80s, he described how public education, university education, higher education was failing to educate Americans. You know, it was creating this generation of idiots. You know, because of you know various reasons, because of this you know sort of like what we, now we call like woke, wokeism taking over universities and it was diluting the education and you're creating a generation of people that can't critically think. He wrote about this thir over 30 years ago. Yeah, like over 30 years wow. ago. And it came true. You know, so sometimes, you know, reading those books, like Christopher, Christopher Lash is another example. You know, most of his books are from like 1970s, 1980s, talking about the, like the, the betrayal of the elites where you know, he pointed out 40 years ago that we're creating this neo-feudalistic society of extreme wealth concentration, this elite class that doesn't have to follow the rules and everybody else. And these people fucked us. Like, that's an old, that's an old book from the 1970s, you can read. It, it might give you some insight into the, the modern times. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I said earlier, like I love books that are from that time period kind of projecting out into the future because the ones that are still relevant today are likely the ones that, you know, they hit the nail on the head. And, you know, that kind of goes with all books that are timeless. It's like, there's a reason they're still around. So like focusing on the classics, focusing on, you know, historical figures that have, uh, you know, their influence remains prominent, you know, for long period into the future. So I appreciate that, man. I appreciate the insights. I definitely want to look into some of those books and, and dive through them myself. Uh, Alexander, man, I really appreciate your time today, your insights, perspective and everything. Uh, you know, this is such an interesting time to be alive, such an interesting time to have the tools at our disposal that we do. And I think you're able to utilize them and uh, manipulate them uh, better than almost anyone out there. So, you know, appreciate uh, the content that you produce and following along with it is just awesome. So uh, you're welcome, man. For the audience out there, where, where can they find you? What should they, where should they uh, be directed? Um, so, so Twitter is obviously the largest account, um, AJ underscore Cortez on Twitter. Um, also on Instagram as well, same account. Uh, the place where I tend to give the biggest downloads in regards to information, perspective, future casting, all, and also actual fitness advice, since that technically is still what I do. So the newsletter that I have, which is on Cortez.site, it's time for the newsletter. I send that out usually two, three times a week. Um, and that's where I'll, I'll go deep on different perspectives and subjects. And then, like I said, some of it's also just the actual this applicable um, you know, fitness knowledge stuff you can use to get healthier. But the newsletters where I do definitely my best writing and work, um, you know, everything else, you know, Twitter obviously is very topical. You know, Instagram is, you know, it's, it's short format stuff, the long format stuff to really make you think it's going to be on the newsletter. Got it. Awesome. Um, do you have any final asks, requests, or uh, words of advice or anything for the audience? Before we wrap up, um, okay, I have so I do have a I have a course on online business and all the accompanying principles that I'm launching in November with my buddy Jose Rosado. Um, I can give you the website to sign up for like the, the the waiting list for that. But that'll open up in November, and that will be a four week cohort actually, where it'll be yeah you know, obviously it'll be done you know, as an online course, but also be done each week where it's going to be Q and A uh, with myself and Jose, and we'll be covering everything that goes on to the actual operation of running an internet-based business you know, in depth. You can ask questions and um, you also have the opportunity to network with the people who are in the course, you know, while, you know, while you're doing it. So that'll be coming in November. So definitely look out for that. That's awesome. That's tremendously valuable. If you've 
enjoyed what we've talked about here and, you know, the sort of perspective of the future makes sense. I couldn't imagine a better opportunity if you're sort of still stuck in your nine to five than to learn from uh, you both and, and, you know, learn from you and Jose about how to build an online business and start to establish your own sovereignty. So that should be really awesome. I'll uh, blast that out, send over the link for sure. And um, yeah, man, it's been an honor. Thank you again. And uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, likewise, bro. Good talk. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please, Help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.